have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to join me in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a personal memoir. It is an accounting of the rebuilding of the wall at Jerusalem. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, and God burdened his heart with the overwhelming responsibility of rebuilding the walls at Jerusalem. With miraculous provision, the king of Persia sends Nehemiah back to Jerusalem, and with a ragtag group of misfits, he undertakes this mega construction project. All along, it has been a battle. All along, it has required diligence in sticking to the task and being guided by the Holy Spirit. And as I referenced in our study, perhaps nowhere in Scripture do we more clearly see a human illustration of how the devil attacks than in Nehemiah's chapter 4 and 5 and 6. And in chapter 6, I note a tone change in the attack. If the devil always attacked us and we could see his horns and his long tail and his pitchfork, we would know it was him. But when we meet the devil for the first time in Scripture, in Genesis chapter 3, he is described as subtle. And sometimes when the devil attacks, he doesn't shout, he whispers. And sometimes it's not a frontal assault, but rather a sneak attack. And sometimes it's very personal. And here in Nehemiah chapter 6, we see just that. A subtle attack of the devil, where he's whispering. And he's attacking Nehemiah in a personal way. I'll read here in Nehemiah chapter 6. And I'm going to read nine verses. But I want to tell the story of chapter 6. And outline it in such a way. So that we have principles for our real life interaction. With our spiritual battle. And how to navigate our way. To successfully accomplishing what God has for us. In verse 1. And those verses will be here on the screen. So that you can know this is God's word. Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian, and for those of you that are new, those are the bad guys in this story, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come. Let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. Then when Sanballat sent Sanballat his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time, but this time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, and here's what was written in this open letter. It is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. And here's the key to every attack in this chapter. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands 
shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now therefore, here he's praying, O God, strengthen my hands. I know that these attacks personally hurt Nehemiah. I know that to some degree they had the desired effect of the enemy because in verse 9 we read he is calling out to God, please don't let me be afraid. Please don't let me be discouraged. Please don't let me be defeated. Strengthen my hands to continue this work. One attack after another. Painful, heart-wrenching, discouraging attacks to Nehemiah. They have come from outsiders, and they have come from insiders. And here in chapter 6, I can sense within him, he's in one of the most loneliest seasons, most fearful moments in his life. One thing that clearly emerges from these chapters, particularly this one, is that life as we know it and live it is a spiritual battle from beginning to end. Nehemiah ran into opposition from the onset of the burden that God gave him. Remember that for four months he prayed and he fasted and he mourned. He had to take a step of incredible faith when he confronted the king and made requests for the provision for the rebuilding. The trip has been strenuous. The work has been laborious. People have complained. The enemy has assaulted. All along, Nehemiah has battled and he has built. And it seems to me as we round the corner to chapter 6 that now his enemies decide to attack him personally. It is as though their spirit will not be appeased until Nehemiah himself is humiliated. And I am again reminded of Paul writing to the believers at Ephesus when he said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand and get this word against the wiles of the devil. The deceptive tricks... All of the different layers and nuances that the devil will come at you with put on the whole armor of God. Because according to Scripture, we know that he is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. But there are also times where he is a minister of light. Where he comes with smiling, gracious words. Words of accommodation and enticing promises. Where he flatters And what he is saying to us is that what he is proposing will cost us nothing when in reality it will cost us everything. Nehemiah's enemies here in chapter 6 have changed their tactic. They are now resorting to friendliness and persuasion. And I would say to you as the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers at Corinth, always be on your toes for we should not be ignorant of his devices. Sometimes it is the responsibility of the minister of the word to equip us to stand against the devil when he whispers. To stand against the devil's sneak attacks. To understand how nuanced and layered the spiritual battle actually is. And I note immediately that the enemies of God and the enemies of Nehemiah seek to distract him. Did you notice back in verse 1? When they first requested that he come down from the wall and go 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem to the plains of Ono, which is right near the border of Samaria, to meet with them. Nehemiah makes it clear in his memoir that there was no longer a breach in the wall. They have completed largely the construction project. 
However, in the parenthetical statement in verse 1, he says, we have not placed the gates upon the doors just yet. And so what we deduce from that is the enemies know that unless they seize this very moment and try to stop it, they are mere days away from completion of the construction project. They are also perhaps aware that Nehemiah might be at a weak point, realizing that now the work is almost done and he can coast. And so they send messengers to him and they are asking for him to take a little time off and meet with them on the plains of Ono. And in essence, they're saying, we get it. You've done a great job. Let's just be friends. They're trying so hard to lure him away. Four times they asked. And for reasons known only to God, and for reasons revealed only in the heart of Nehemiah, he was able to discern that their request for him to leave the wall and go to the plains of Ono was a trap. And so all four times that he answers them, he says, no, 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 no. And the strength behind his no was not just sheer force of will. But rather, he reveals to us in verse 3 this, I know I am doing a great work, and so I cannot come down. Why should the work that God has given me to do cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Every single day of our lives, opportunities are going to arise that have a way that have the potential, as it were, to distract us from the main thing that God has called us to do. And by the way, what Nehemiah does four times over is an an important thing for us to learn. Learn to say no. Learn to say no. Learn to say no to yourself and the impulse of your flesh. Learn to say no to temptation. Opportunity is not obligation. And Nehemiah understands that God has given him a specific calling and he has gifted him for a specific task. And though this opportunity has arisen, he cannot be distracted from that which God has given him to do to go to meet with them where they are. That is how nuanced the devil's attacks actually are. How many times have we allowed situations in life, and perhaps they're not bad things, Things like our career, things like our finances, things like our seasons of life to strip away our energy that is better spent, that is best spent, that is expected by God to be spent in His work. We wouldn't look at this and see the devil with his pitchfork and his horns. But what we know is it took the sincere guidance of the Holy Spirit for Nehemiah to avoid The distraction. I can't leave the work. This is what God has given me to do. I cannot be distracted. And I'll be honest with you. Oftentimes as a father and as a husband and as a pastor. I have given in to my concern for other people's feelings. More than my obedience to what God expects. And I have allowed my energy to be sapped by things that have no business. Getting the priority of my time. But rather God's things. And when they realize that this distraction isn't going to work, they get ugly and they get personal. I want you to just note in verse 5, and we've already read it, but Sanballat, his servant, 
sends his servant unto Nehemiah, just like he did the four other times. But this time when he comes, it says he comes with an open letter in his hand. Now, how many of you believe an open letter is intended for everybody to know what the contents of the letter are? So when his servant comes the fifth time, unlike the first four times, he now arrives with an open letter. It's designed for everybody who is in the process to understand what's in it, and it was a bombshell of a letter. It could destroy the credibility of Nehemiah. What he says is this, Nehemiah, the heathen people and everybody around, and even the people there in Jerusalem, and it's all over Judah, are saying that you want to be king. And I love the phrase. I have no idea why it's put in here. It clearly meant something to Nehemiah. It doesn't mean anything to us other than we know it's of import when he says, and Gashmu saith it too. And all of us know when Gashmu says it, it has to be true, right? And Gashmu saith it, you want to be king. And so they put in this letter, we know your heart, man. We know why you're building the walls. You all that are there in Jerusalem want to rebel and you're protecting and fortifying yourself so that you can make yourself a little bit of a king. And gossip is so insidious. And slander is so terrible. But at the same time, isn't it so wonderful? Why do we have a tendency to believe things that are whispered to us? Hey, did you know? As soon as something is whispered to it, we add like five layers of sincerity to it. Well, if it's, <laughs> they wouldn't have whispered it if it wasn't true. And after all, even Gashmu said it. And again, Gashmu's not a friend. Gashmu's the kind of guy that you want to stay away from. And it is intriguing to me that of the seven things that God says in his word he hates in the book of Proverbs, three of them have to do with the tongue. Why? Because the more interesting the gossip, the more likely it is to be untrue, however, the faster it will travel. And if you've ever been gossiped about, if you've ever been rumored about, if you've ever been slandered, if you've ever participated in it, what Nehemiah does for us helps us incredibly, and he reveals an amazing amount of spiritual maturity. Because when I read this in verse 8, I wish he said more, but he says unto them, there are no such things done as thou sayest, Thou feignest them out of thine own heart. No self-defense. No long letter in return. No vindication. He simply says, it's not true. You made it up. I wish Nehemiah had fought a little harder. I wish that Nehemiah had screamed and that he'd shouted, but rather he offers a flat denial with no attempt to disprove the accusation. You see, criticism wasn't a new thing for Nehemiah. But the criticism this time was different because it was aimed at him. And unfortunately, the gossip spreads. The gossip always spreads. Everybody has an opinion and thinks their opinion matters more than anything else in the world, and they have to whisper it, and they have to share it, and they have to slander, and they have to lie, and they have to gossip, and they have to talk, and perhaps there's nothing more destructive than gossip in that way. Even the nobles in Judah later in this chapter are going to buy into this, and they're even going to add to the lie just a little bit more. That's why in verse 9, Nehemiah cries out, Oh God, strengthen my hands. I can put up with hardship. I can put up with the attack coming from the front. I can put up with having to build a wall with goldsmiths and perfumers and politicians. But if they're going to lie about me, that hurts. That's how the devil works. He is always 
trying to put fear in our hearts. That's what verse 9 tells us. The whole reason that they did this was to make us afraid. The whole reason they did this was to discourage us. The whole reason they did this was to defeat it. And Nehemiah is praying, God, don't let that happen. Help me to work even harder. Gossip. How many of you honestly love to be gossiped about? Isn't it fun? It's a terrifying thing to me. And I can't meditate on it often. But due to my simple position in life, I realize that literally hundreds of people formulate opinions about me every week. And I don't know what they are. And let me be clear, I don't want to know what they are. It helps me to stay blissfully ignorant. But people formulate opinions. Every single sermon is a new opportunity for you to form an opinion about me. Well, he bombed that one. I wish you to try it a little harder. Clearly, he didn't study. That one wasn't funny. That was way too long. And by the way, this one's not long. Don't panic. That one wasn't engaging. There weren't good stories. His wife was a little aloof. I didn't like his suit. You're staring at me for a half hour. You're picking me apart. And I'm doing the same to you, by the way. I've seen a few bald heads in this room this morning. I've, I've seen a few sleepy people today. I've seen a few mismatched. I've seen some that look like they didn't get a full night's sleep. We're all forming opinions about each other. And gossip is so easy. And it is so enticing. But it is so deadly. One author penned this. I think it's great. He was writing as gossip. And he said, I have no respect for justice. I maim without killing. I break hearts and ruin lives. I am cunning and malicious and gather strength the longer I'm alive. The more I'm quoted, the more I'm believed. My victims are helpless. They cannot protect themselves against me because I have no name and no face. To track me down is impossible. The harder you try, the more elusive I become. I topple governments and wreck friendships. I ruin careers and cause sleepless nights and heartaches. I make innocent people cry into their pillows. Even my name hisses. I am called gossip. I make headlines and headaches, and I am nobody's friend. Isn't that the reality? So how do we overcome that? If that's an ever-present reality in our lives, if we have to navigate life with the awareness that people have opinions about us and share them, and at times they are unfounded and untrue, like Nehemiah, we simply refute without seeking vindication, we respond without reaching their level, and we live a blameless life. Charles Spurgeon, who is known as the Prince of Preachers, preached in England, and was incredibly successful. He wrote a book to young pastors. It's called Lectures to My Students. And he has a chapter in there called The Blind Eye and the Deaf Ear, which is the way to navigate life in community. And he says this, Falsehoods usually carry their own reputations somewhere about them and sting themselves to death. He said some lies especially have a peculiar smell which betrays their rottenness to every honest nose. And then this nugget is in there. Your blameless life will be your best defense. And those who have seen it will not allow you to be condemned so readily as your slanderers expect. Do you want to know the best defense against this attack of discreditation? Live righteously. 
Live right and live holy. Live in a blameless way so that when it hits the ear of the listener, they think, no way. Here's the second way to defeat the attack of discreditation. Don't join in the gossip. Don't let it get started to begin with. Because the aim of the devil is always to incite fear. And at first he will simply try to distract you. And what a nuanced attack that is. At other times it stings and it hurts and it wounds deeply. But live blamelessly and right and don't participate. And when that doesn't work, he outright lies. Look at verse 10. Now there's a lot of Bible names in here. But it's important for us to understand what's going on. Afterward. After all this, Nehemiah says, I've just prayed, O God, strengthen my hands. I came unto the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabil, who was shut up. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. Now we've just met Shemaiah. Shemaiah is, as revealed to us, hired by Sanballat and Tobiah. They just won't go away. They hire Shemaiah, who is a priest, who is a prophet, who is living in his house. He is not participating in the work. He is shut up in his house. Clearly, he has called Nehemiah, and he desires some audience with him. And Nehemiah goes to Shemaiah's house. He sits in Shemaiah's house, and Shemaiah says, Nehemiah, you need to understand something. There is a plan afoot. They, Sambalad and Tobiah, and the enemies of God are going to kill you. And then he adds this layer to really spook him. In the night, they're going to kill you. He's really going after it. Nehemiah, you got to understand, when it's dark and everybody's asleep and no one can see anything, they have a plan. They're going to sneak in and they are going to kill you. And Shemaiah already has the plan. Shemaiah says, Nehemiah, I know the way out. What we have to do, and we have no option, what we have to do is we have to leave my house right now and we have to go up to the temple and we have to go into the Holy of Holies and we have to shut the doors there at the temple because they'll never come into the temple to kill you. Come on, Nehemiah, let's go. And Nehemiah responds and he simply says, Hey, should such a man as I flee and run to the temple? In effect, what Nehemiah says is this, I'm not a priest. I can't go into the temple. God himself said, I have no business going into the holy place, into the temple and closing the doors. In effect, what he's communicating is this. I would rather die here in the city than sin against God. The other layer that I sense in here is Shemaiah is saying, let's go into the temple. And if Nehemiah were to go into the temple and take that audacious step, that bold and offensive step, then all the rumors that had been spread that he was trying to be king, which he had refuted by his life, would actually be backed up when they would think, well, I guess he wants to be the high priest now. The devil's attacks are insidious. They are sneaky. They are subtle. His devices are are all over the place, and he's coming at Nehemiah again and again and again. But Nehemiah knows what's up. Nehemiah discerns it. Nehemiah grasps it. Nehemiah knows that this is a lie. It's another trick. How? God. 
If I were to say to you, perhaps the most helpful thing that I can pull from this is that there is nothing that will aid us in life any more than the awareness that the Word of God and the Holy Spirit are given to guide us through difficulties and to help us make decisions. And sometimes you don't need to validate your decision. You don't need to vindicate it before anybody else. You just need to know in here, that's what God has told me. And fearless obedience and faithfulness to prayer will enable you to maintain what God has given you to do, even in the midst of all these attacks. And verse 15 is somewhat anticlimactic because all we read is, so the wall was finished in 52 days. In just over seven weeks from arriving on this broken down scene, the wall is completed. I expect a moment of victory. I expect a parade. I expect a, an exultation. But what I read is simply anticlimactic. And we finish the wall. Now here's what I'd like to think in my mind. So the devil finally took a break. We reached the tape and we broke through, so the devil finally stopped fighting us because the big construction project was over. Here's a lesson to learn. The devil continues to fight even on the other side of the tape. And I am so disgusted by the nobles and by the people when I arrive at verse 16. Here's what the Bible says, and it came to pass that when all of our enemies heard thereof, And all the heathen that were about saw these things. When everybody was aware, when all the heathen and all the enemies and everybody was aware that the wall was completed, they were much cast down in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. They knew it. God has his hand on Nehemiah. God had his hand on that project. There is no way goldsmiths and perfumers and politicians and priests and cupbearers can do a job like that in 52 days if God didn't enable it. And so with that in their mind, you would think, well, they'll just put up that white flag of surrender. But in verse 17, man, it gets gross. Moreover, in those days, now this is Nehemiah's account. So when he writes, moreover, he's saying, can you believe they kept coming at me? In those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him. So there are nobles, you get it, the upper crust there in Judah, who are sending letters to Tobiah outside of Judah, the enemy of God, the enemy of Nehemiah, the enemy of the work of God. And they are telling him all of the details, what is going on inside the walls of Jerusalem. And Tobiah, not one not to want the gossip, fires the letters back and he's trying to manipulate and trying to work behind the scenes. And, and then we get into, again, don't ever be afraid of it. We don't know these people, but what is being communicated in the next verses is big time Bible words. There were many in Judah that were sworn to Tobiah, and here's why. Because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara. And his son, Johanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Now that's just big Bible words that mean nothing to us, but what it's communicating is this. Tobiah was a dude to be reckoned with. He was networked, he was connected, he was important. 
And so the nobles of Judah have this ne'er-do-well nobody, Nehemiah, showing up from Persia with a ragtag group of misfits here on the scene to do God's work, and they're going against the wishes of Tobiah. And so although in 52 days they've completed the wall, they're sending letters back and forth to each other, and their allegiance is still sworn to him, and he's still trying to manipulate behind the scenes. And verse 19 says this, Also... The nobles of Judah intended here, the prophets and the priests and the prophetess are reporting his, Tobiah's good deeds before me and uttered my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters, get it again, to put me in fear. I can personally hear the isolation and the frustration in Nehemiah. Because he is saying, everything that I said here in my chambers makes it to the ears of Tobiah. I can't even have a conversation in here that doesn't go outside the walls of the city. I have had enough of Tobiah. I would have wanted to just call a duel out on the plane. And I would have imagined at this point, God is just going to rip fire down from heaven and burn this guy up. Tobiah would drive me crazy. And the secret letters, I could not have put up with that for a day. But for weeks, months, Nehemiah has dealt with this. It is incredible how relentless and how nuanced and how tricky and how deceitful and how subtle the adversary actually is. I heard the story of an old lady who never spoke ill of anyone. How rare is that? Of any human. So clean in her speech was she that a man said to her, you never ever say anything negative about anybody. I imagine you could even praise the devil. And she said, well, you certainly do have to praise him for his persistence. And that's fact. It doesn't matter how many decades you've gone on. It doesn't matter where you are on the wall. It doesn't matter how many weeks into the build you are. It doesn't matter if the gates are up or if the gates are yet to be up. He is ceaselessly chasing you down. He is constantly going after you to discourage you. That's why I think it's important to point out in verse 1, the timing is such that the wall is completed, but the gates aren't done. And the devil comes with one last ray of hope to break through. And even when the gates are up and the wall is completed and we have a celebratory moment, he now tries to create division within the camp and wear you down. And over and over and over and over, his motive is clear. It is to cause fear. Fear. Perfect love, the Bible tells us, casteth out fear. He has not, God, given us the spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. And the devil wants to discourage you, and he wants to defeat you, and he wants to incite fear inside of you. And it can be as simple as a distraction. It can be as nuanced as, as discreditation. It can be as layered as a lie coming into your ear and it can be division all around you. But any time that you try to honor God with your life, any time that you try to put things together in your family or take steps to live righteously or to rebuild something that was broken down, make certain the adversary takes note of that and he will come at you in all ways. 
And sometimes it's a frontal assault with swords and spears in the hand of your enemy. And other times it's whispered words of kindness and affirmation. Let's just be friends. Just stop doing what you're doing and come down off the wall. It can be all kinds of attack. But you have to stay aware that prayer, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God and good counsel are our way through that storm. You ever use your GPS system? I don't often. My wife relies heavily on her GPS. And there are times that I will be in the car with her and I think, honey, we're in our own neighborhood. I don't need the GPS yet. I may need it on the other end, but I got it figured out now. But if you've ever put in a destination into your GPS system, and for, for this morning it's sunny out, but it's a little cold, we'll put it at a wonderful, wonderful beach location somewhere warm. Just type it into your GPS and go. And you're driving down the road and, and you're going and, and it's taking you to your destination. And on the way, you know you have to stop for gas and you have to stop for a healthy lunch. And it can't be Chick-fil-A because it's Sunday. So you're stopping somewhere and you get off the highway. And as soon as you begin to exit, your GPS is flipping out. Where are you going? This is not where I told you to go. I don't know why you're getting off. Now you're making a right-hand turn and you're going down the road. You are not going where I told you to go. If our GPS system had personality, perhaps it would say something like this. You're going the wrong way, idiot. I'm not going to help you anymore because you always reject when I tell you where to go. But instead, the GPS system is so kind and patient, and it will say something like, when possible, make a legal U-turn. It will say something like recalculating until you get back on the road that you are supposed to be on so that you can arrive at the destination that you desire to be at. And that's how the Holy Spirit works. The fact is, not one of us has made a straight line between point A to point B. We have gone the wrong direction and gotten off the road multiple times. We have made those decisions over and again that would negate His influence in our lives. And yet when we come to a moment like this, He says, when possible, make a legal U-turn. Recalculate. Let's get back over here. Let's get where you need to go. Are you discouraged Are you defeated? Are you beat down? Are you distracted? And listen, I get it. Life comes at us and it is challenging. Seasons change and they dictate oftentimes that we change with them. And the demands get greater. And yet I say to you that one of the nuanced ways the devil can attack us is to get us off the main task that God wants for us to do with a thousand other little things that don't need to be done. You feel defeated by people that you're around, situations that you're in. You know that the devil has lied to you and he has promised you something that is just not true. And at the core of it, you feel afraid. I don't have the answers. I don't know what to do next. I don't know where to go. That's how the devil works. One of the most often eaten fruits on his corrupt tree is that of fear. And when you sense that, you get back to prayer, you get back to the Word, you get back to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and you just don't quit. The principles that Nehemiah outlines for us are amazing. Nehemiah, stop working. No, the task that I have been given is greater than a meeting down on the plain. I'll stay right here. 
Nehemiah, do you understand? Everybody's talking and everybody's questioning your motives and everybody's talking about what you're doing. Yeah, it's just not true. You're making it up. My blameless life backs it. Stop gossiping. Nehemiah, you gotta hide. Nehemiah, you have to be afraid. Nehemiah, you have to come down here. I'd rather die in the city than sin before God. I'll stay right here. Nehemiah, nobody's on your team. Nehemiah, you're all alone. That's fine. The wall will be completed and I'll continue to do what God has given me to do. That's why we have the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. We just armor up and keep on going because the devil wants you to be afraid. And if he would walk through those double doors in the back with the horns and the pitchfork, we would all go, there he is. Don't get near him. But when he whispers with an opportunity that will distract us from what God has given us to do, sometimes he gets us and we don't even know it. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.